What a blessing. I love that song and a great rendition of it. The value of one. You know, if you'd been the only person lost, we believe Jesus would have still died to save you. Isn't that an amazing thought? I don't think we understand the value of one soul. The Bible says when there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents, when one sinner gets saved. And boy, if we were to work a whole lifetime and just have one person get saved, it'd all be worth it. But thank God we get to see a lot more than one person be saved. Amen? Good stuff. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of the song. And now as we turn our attention towards your word, I pray that you'd give me the words that you have for us at this moment. Only to say what would be helpful and edifying, and Lord, that you give us ears to hear, and to love and trust your Bible, and Lord, to spend a lifetime searching it for its wonderful treasures. We pray that your work would be accomplished in this hour. In Christ's name, amen. We read Psalm 119, verse 68, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This is one of the many verses in the Bible where God's word is said to be linked with forever, eternity, uh, eternal. Uh, and the subject of today's simple message is God's eternal word. God's eternal word. You know, I wonder if when you think about the Bible, you think about eternity. Clearly, this Bible I hold in my hands won't last forever. It's simply made of of paper and leather bound together with thread and glue. This Bible will not last forever, this copy of it. I have other Bibles at home that are pretty much falling apart. You know, they've just been used, the paper pages are falling out, or the cover is about ready to fall off, and This is an exceedingly nice Bible, the nicest one I've ever had. Uh, Some friends gave it to me, uh, some preacher friends for the Chamberlain, uh, one of them uh, who will be with tomorrow. But it's the nicest Bible I've ever had. Extra thick pages and wide margin and leather and fancy. And I I saw him with it, or he saw me with it a few years later. He said, what are you doing using that Bible? (laughs) I said... I said, well, I want to use it. And one of my other friends said, that Bible's too nice to use. And I said, no, it's not a museum piece. It's just going to last me for a while and hopefully maybe even a lifetime. But the words contained in the Bible are eternal. And it's important you understand that. Not just the truths are eternal. So we, we understand that the truth of God is eternal. But the actual words of God as found in your Bible are eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And we know there's no other book like the Bible, but today I want us to learn how God gave us his eternal word and why it's so effective in changing lives. Have you ever wondered why they don't teach the Bible anymore in in school? You say, oh, I was talking to a lady yesterday. Yesterday on Soul when I was privileged to get to witness to four people and had a good time out doing it. I actually went out by myself and, and uh, saw Claire. I, she brings you greetings, by the way. She's been having some hard time and a very sleepy. I know the pastors saw her this week, too. Uh, I then got to witness to some different people and 
talked about a lot of different... You know, that's the wonderful thing about talking to people about the Lord is you never know where the conversation's going to go based on what they've heard and their experiences and what church they went to or where they've ever gone to church. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, we talked yesterday about uh, why the Bible isn't taught in school. And, and this lady said, oh, well, they can't teach the Bible in school. That's religion. I said, you know, they used to teach the Bible in school. She's like, oh, yeah, really? And it's interesting, the same, the same schools that will teach you the five pillars of Islam or the, the tenets of Buddhism or Taoism uh, won't discuss the Word of God. And there's a reason, it's because this book's powerful. Amen. This book changes lives. If, if for no other reason, the Bible should be taught as literature in every public school in America, just as the, the most impressive literary book that's ever been written in any language the bible you say well it's old english well they still teach shakespeare you know really any reason that you talk about why they don't can be overcome let me tell you the the secret reason why they don't is because the people who eventually became in charge of a lot of these institutions realize that this book is a powerful spiritual force for god it's a life changer it's a life changer. It changes nations and cultures. You know, every culture is not created equally. You know, I think Christian culture where we love people is, is superior than cannibalistic cultures where they eat each other. Do you agree with that? Uh, and, and a lot of the, the, beauty, the beauties of the culture we have is based on the Word of God. The, this Bible changes cultures, it changes nations, it changes people's lives, it changes eternal destinies. This is a powerful book. And today I'm going to explain to you uh, a few reasons why. The Bible is the Christian's sole authority for faith and practice. We believe what the Bible says. And with all that being true, no wonder Satan works tirelessly to refute and dilute the Word of God. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Oh, the Bible's just like any other religious text. They say as they have never read it. The Bible was just written by men. You ever heard anybody say that? The Bible was, was good in the beginning, but it's been corrupted over time. You ever heard anybody say that? Sure we have. Sometimes they'll even say, well, the Bible teaches and then fill in the blank with some terrible or ridiculous concept. <laughs> you know? And oftentimes people are ignorant about what this book is, how it came to us, what it contains, and its incredible power. Well, Satan works to refute the Word of God. He works to try to convince you the Word of God's not true. All the way back in the very beginning... The first conversations that Satan had with, with Eve, yea, hath God said? Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant? Is that really true? And then if he can't refute it, he will dilute it. He will give alternative versions and, and each one being so much different than the other to where I would say to you today that the King James Version is a little bit more trustworthy than the Klingon Bible. Would you agree with that? I'd probably want a, a King James Version over the Reader's Digest Condensed Version. 
So things that are different can't be the same. And so Satan will outright refute the Bible, try to get you to believe it's not true. But if he can't do that, then he will dilute the Bible and try to water it down and make the, the, the real truth harder to get at. In reality, the Bible is a life-changing book backed by thousands of years of case studies about how this book changes lives and destinies. This book has withstood the test of time, it's defeated every foe, and it's overcome all scrutiny. And here today, in 2023, we still have the Word of God. Isn't that a blessing? And so today I want to talk to you about this idea of of God's eternal word. One reason why it's so powerful is it's not just a a book full of truths. It is the eternal word of God. I want to make five statements today and give you five reasons why the Bible is so special and effective. Number one, we learn that there is an eternal copy of God's word in heaven. There is an eternal copy of God's word in heaven. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We'll dig deeper into that in just a moment. But this verse tells us three things that we need to know. Number one, we learn that God's word is eternal. God's word is eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is eternal. But in what form is it eternal? Are we talking about just God's truths? Are we talking about... Just God's ideas? No. The Bible says God's word is eternal. And it says that in a lot of different ways. And I'll show you some of those in the scripture as it goes on. Here's what this means. God's word existed before time and space. Think about that. Before the creation of the universe, the word of God was settled. It was decided You say, well, how could God's word be settled in heaven? Well, the same thing we talked about last week. God is outside of time. Do you know that God decided what every person would ever look like and what their personality would be before there was ever any person made? We learned that in in Psalm 139. And so there's a book where God says, I've already decided how tall you're going to be, what color your hair is going to be, what you're going to look like. Uh, what your personality is going to be, what your gifts and abilities is going to be. And in the womb, God just builds us according to what he had already decided. Well, how can he know that? Because God knows everybody who's ever going to live. Amen. Is your mind blown yet? Yeah. Brain hurting? We talked about the God of eternity last week. <clears throat> Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, you weren't even born yet? Then how can he die for your sins? Because God knew you were going to be born, He knew how long you were going to live, and He knew everything you were ever going to do wrong while you were alive. And He still made us anyway. Amen? That's that's the miracle. So Jesus could die for people who weren't even born yet because God knew it all before it ever happened. Right? This is the eternality of God. The end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He's outside of time. He knows all. He sees all. He's in all times, all the time. He knows everything. And so God knew. He decided ahead of time. He was going to have Moses write the Pentateuch. He was going to have a prophet named uh, Jeremiah and and Ezekiel and 
and, and the, the minor prophets, and he knew Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and, and all of these things. All this he knew was going to happen, and all of this was planned ahead of time. And the, the God's Word is eternal. There's an eternal copy of God's Word in heaven. We also learn that God's Word will be fulfilled to the smallest detail. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And so God says, I'm going to uh, make sure that every jot and tittle, every jot's like the smallest letter, every tittle's like the dot of an I. He said, I'm going to make sure that every detail of the Word of God is fulfilled. Matter of fact, when you understand what the Bible is and how it was protected over the years, fulfilled prophecy is one of the greatest truths that this is a supernatural book. <clears throat> and we don't have time to get into that today. But the Bible says very clearly that the word of our God shall stand forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. See, the gospel has its root in the eternal word. Our eternal salvation is based upon the eternal word of the eternal Christ. And so eternity is baked into everything God does, as we talked about last week. So we learned three vital facts about God's word in our text verse. The first is God's word is eternal. <clears throat> the second is that God's word was written in eternity past. The word of God was not conceived as it was penned by earthly writers. It had been written in eternity, and then the earthly writers were given the word. The word settled means placed, established, determined. The word of God was determined. It was fixed. It was written. It was completed in eternity past. This book is an eternal book. By the way, this is one reason why it doesn't matter what year it is. How could a Bible that parts of it were written 5,000 years ago be relevant today? Because it's eternal. How could we follow a Christ that, that lived 2,000 years ago? He was eternal. How could a salvation paid for 2,000 years ago still be efficacious for us today? It's eternal. Everything God does is linked to eternity. And our eternal salvation is based upon God's eternal word. Every word that God would give to man in his holy book was settled in eternity. Then we learn, letter C in this introduction, God's word is eternally important to God and man. So because it's eternal, that means it will always be relevant, it will always work, it will always be powerful. In fact, the Bible teaches that God magnifies His Word even above His name. Look at, hold your place here and look at Psalm 138. <clears throat> Psalm 138. So in the book of Psalms, particularly in other passages of Scripture, we learn how high and holy the name of God is. In order for you to really get the statement we're about ready to read, you have to understand that the high place of the name of God. God's name is so high and so holy, it's almost inconceivable. 
Then we read in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. This is a mighty big statement. So God says, my name, my name, my name, high and holy. My name means something. That's my name all throughout the scripture. And then God makes a statement that I've elevated my word above my name. My word is actually more high and holy than my name. And that stands to reason when you think about it, because our name, what do you think of when you think of a certain name? You think about what they've said and what they've done. And in order for someone to have a good name, they have to keep their word. And God says, I have magnified my word even above my name. So we said, number one, that God's word is eternal. There's an eternal copy of God's word in heaven. Number two, the written word is a physical expression of God's eternal word. The written word, our Bible, is a physical or earthly expression of God's eternal word. And when you think about this, understand that God's word exists in four ways. So first we have the eternal word. This is God's word forever settled in heaven. And then next we had the spoken word. And this was, remember, before the the written word was completed, God spoke to prophets and then prophets spoke to men. Right? So you have God's eternal word. What are these prophets saying? God's eternal word. And then we have the living word. Jesus Christ was the perfect and eternal word of God robed in flesh. If God's eternal word would be a human, it would be Jesus. Jesus was the physical embodiment of God's word and God's ultimate communication to man. But we have a problem. God's eternal word, we don't have access to it. God's spoken word would come at intervals throughout history, but they would sometimes go a long time without hearing from God or they would have to wait to hear from God. The living word, Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, the eternal Son of God for a small portion of time was taken upon himself the form of of man and he was pegged to a timeline. He only lived about 33 years on this earth physically. So we can't go back and talk to Jesus or see Jesus. Then God gave us the written word, which is actually the best version of his word as it's talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1 because we have God's word now all the time. We can, we can hear from God anytime we choose by going to see the word of God. We don't have to travel to Jerusalem and see Jesus if he was alive at the time. We don't have to wait for God to speak to some prophet and this prophet to tell us what God said. No, we have a, a more sure word of prophecy, as Peter called it. We have the inspired, preserved word of God. And dear friend... I know sometimes we just wish, God, I wish you'd just tell me from heaven what to do. I wish you know, God just come down and talk to me or give me a, a voice that would just tell me what to do. And God says, no, no, I've given you better than that. I've given you my word that you can go to any time you can hear from me and know what my eternal word in heaven says. So the written word of God is a physical expression of God's eternal word. So we said, number one, that God's word is eternal. There's an eternal copy of God's word in heaven. 
Number two, the, the written word is a physical expression of God's eternal word. Number three, now how did God get this eternal word to us? Number three, through inspiration, God ensured that his eternal word was perfectly transferred to mankind. So God came up with a mechanism where his eternal word in heaven would be perfectly word for word given to mankind. And we call this process inspiration, or excuse me, the Bible calls this process inspiration. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And when you understand the nuts and bolts of this, you can understand why the Bible is so powerful and why it is so trustworthy and must be trusted in our own lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture. How much Scripture? All, all Scripture. What Scripture? It's over the Word of God. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Inspiration of God. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word here is the word theonoustos. Theo is the Greek word for God. Noustos Uh, comes from the Greek word for breath, so it literally means God-breathed. That the Bible is God-breathed. It's given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed to mankind. And we, we understand that I'm speaking to you right now. And really what you're hearing is my breath passed over the vocal cords it's my breath that's conveying what, what my mind wants to get across. The vocal cords are simply the mechanical way that my breath is transferred into a way that you can understand it. Isn't that interesting? And through inspiration of God, God breathed. So God was giving us through his breath, his very essence, the eternal word. And the men who wrote the Bible were kind of like the vocal cords that simply gave us the word in a way that we can understand. The words are God-breathed. God's breath is the genesis of His words. When He breathed the Bible, He spoke His words to men as they were divinely directed to write the uh, Bible exactly as God desired. Exactly as God desired. Now, some people will mock and say, oh, you believe in mechanical inspiration. You can call it whatever you want, but the Bible is very clear that God used men just like you and I would pick up a pen and write a note. It's not the pen doing the work. The pen just makes my thoughts visible and understandable to uh, the reader. And so look at, and by the way, because the Bible's inspired, now it's profitable. Back to verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, that's telling us where we're wrong, for correction, that's how to get it right, and for instruction in righteousness, that's how to keep things right, uh, that the man of God may be, through, may be perfect or complete, throughly or completely furnished unto all good works. So because the Scripture is inspired, that's what makes it profitable. And you can read any part of this Bible and find profitable things out of it that will help you. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1. That's all right. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll look at verse number 
Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll look at verse number 20, and we see a little bit more about this concept of inspiration. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What's that mean? You're not supposed to just look at the Scripture and say, oh, here's what I think that means, and nobody else has ever seen that before. Nobody else has ever thought that before. No, the Bible's not given for us to just look at it and make some private contrivance of what we think it's mean. It means the Bible actually has one interpretation and many applications. So it has one thing that it's saying and then many different ways you can apply that truth to people's lives and situations. But the Bible defines itself. I was talking to a lady yesterday, and I said, you know, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say if you take it out of context. She was talking about all the different religions. You know, that's where all the different religions come from. They, they use the Bible or a version of it. that they Some of them even make a version. Some of them, what they believe is so far away from the Bible that they make a new Bible to contain what they say. For example, the Book of Mormon. Uh, so the Mormons had to write a whole nother Bible because what they believe is so different from what the Bible says. Well, this is new revelation. No, it's, it's, uh, it's craziness. It's, it's completely different. It's not anything attached to the scriptures. Uh, and so uh, sometimes people will try to use a Bible or a form of the Bible to validate their their belief system, but we go to the Bible, and when you study the Bible, the Bible's not made to pick one verse out and use it in a vacuum. No, the Bible's all interconnected. And you look at this verse and the context and what other verses say about the same subject, and you come up with this beautiful, clear picture of God's truth in, in the Bible. But notice verse 21. For the prophecy came, so now it's going to tell us how how God's word, the prophecy, God's eternal word, how did that get to mankind? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So for example, this wasn't Matthew saying, well, I think I'm going to tell you some things I remember about Jesus. That's not how the Bible came. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were, what's the next word? Moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved means Picked up and carried. Carried by the Holy Ghost. Born along by the Holy Ghost. So when I go to write a note to my wife, I pick up the pen and I carry it along as it is transmitting what's in my mind and my heart to my wife. Amen? Amen. Now when I write my wife a sweet note, She doesn't say, oh, this note is so sweet. And she doesn't thank my pen. That's a really nice pen. Your pen is so thoughtful. (laughs) No, it's not the pen. The pen's just the tool. And the same way inspiration works, where through inspiration, God ensured that his eternal word was perfectly transferred to mankind as God bore along as he picked up and moved holy men of old. As, as, as he gave them directly what to say. For example, Moses, who wrote Genesis 1-1, was not there in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. How does he know that? Because God picked him up and said, Moses, say exactly this. And Moses said exactly that. And I, and I believe this was a, a supernatural superintendence where there wasn't a possibility for them to get it wrong. So this is inspiration of scriptures. 
Uh, the Bible speaks of these men as instruments of inspiration. And then you get into different words like you see in our, in our bylaws, in our constitution, plenary inspiration. What's the word plenary? It simply means absolute, full, complete, entire. We believe that the Bible is completely and fully inspired. This gets into a little bit of canonization. For example, why isn't the Apocrypha in your, in your Bible today? Back in the beginning when the, when the Apocrypha, which is a, a group of books included in the middle of the Bible, they were included for historical reference, but they were never assumed to be part of the Scripture. The, the canon of Scripture, the, the process of canonization, how did we determine what books would be in the Bible? How, how was it determined? Why isn't the book of Judas in the Bible other than for obvious reasons? What about the lost scrolls of such and such? Why aren't they included in the Bible? There's a reason why all these things were either included or, or discluded. We believe the Bible is completely and fully inspired. Uh, every book of the Bible, every word of the Bible, this is plenary inspiration. And then there's verbal inspiration. This means that, that God inspired every word of Scripture. Uh, God didn't just give the, the prophets thoughts and let, let them choose their own words. Now, God would use the personality, the style of the, the writer at the time, just like if I use this pen, it's different than if I use a liquid ballpoint pen. That's different if I use a calligraphy pen. So you see some evidences of the, the personality coming through and the times, but it doesn't change the, the supernatural uh, superintendence of the Scripture. So we believe the Bible is verbally and plenarily inspired, and inspiration equals infallibility. Because the Bible is the inspired Word of God, it's completely trustworthy on all matters of life and faith. That's a pretty profound statement. But that's the Word of God. Our Curtis Corner Baptist Church statement of faith reads, We believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be verbally and plenary inspired Word of God. The Scriptures are inerrant, infallible, and God-breathed and therefore are the final authority for faith and life. Sixty-six books of the Old New Testament are the complete and divine revelation of God to man. And so it's through inspiration that God ensured His eternal word was perfectly transferred to mankind. Now let me show you the next thought here. Number four, look at Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12, we're talking about the eternal word. Psalm chapter 12, now we have a word called preservation. Through preservation, God ensures that His eternal Word is continually protected from mankind. So wait a minute, inspiration, God gave the Word to mankind. Preservation protects the Word from mankind. And this makes sense... <clears throat> If God didn't trust us to get His original words right in the first place and had to supernaturally make sure that the words were gotten exactly right, it makes sense that He would supernaturally protect those words throughout the ages. Some people, and this is where the theology of the modern church kind of gets a little off base, some Christians agree that the Bible was originally given by God but that it has been corrupted over time. They say things like, well, the Bible was originally inspired, 
or the originals were inspired. You know, the original Greek, the original Hebrew, the original Aramaic, we could trust that. But here's the problem. The originals don't exist today. There's nowhere in the world where you can go and look at the originals that were originally penned by Moses, originally penned by the Apostle Paul. They don't exist. So if you follow that line of thinking, well, God gave them to us originally, but then they were corrupted, that means that God's Word doesn't exist anywhere in the world today, just bits and pieces of it, and then how do you know what you can trust? You see how that kind of dilutes people's view of the Scripture? No, the God who's big enough to get His eternal Word to us is big enough to protect His eternal Word from us. After all, God knew what was in man. John chapter 2, Jesus said, I don't commit myself to man, for I know what's in man. <laughs> you know, God is, understands the, the sin nature of mankind. So the doctrine of preservation states that God supernaturally protects His inspired word from corruption. Inspiration gives the perfect word to man, Preservation protects the perfect word from man. And then look at Psalm chapter 12 and we'll see how this works. Is this interesting to you? Psalm chapter 12, look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are fairly pure words. No, that's not what it says. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them. Look at the next word. From this generation forever. So inspiration, God gave the word to man. Preservation protects the word from man. And in here we we have the illustration of uh, smelting silver and purifying it. So what they would do is they would get silver and they would melt it down, boil it, and the impurities would come to the top, and then they would scrape that off and let it cool back down. They'd warm it up again, the impurities would come up to the top, they would scrape that off. Matter of fact, most people don't know this, but silver, in the beginning of of American silver rush, they were throwing away silver. Uh, The Comstock Lode, which was the biggest silver find in American history... They were actually searching for gold and they kept coming up with this crazy stuff and they were actually dumping it in a pile, just getting rid of it. They couldn't get rid of the stuff. And come to find out, someone, an assayer went over and tested what was in it and come to find out in the middle of all this stuff was silver. And so they would melt this stuff down, the dross would come up and scrape it off and melt it down, the dross would come up and scrape it off. And the more times you did that, the more pure the silver would become until you got to the purest silver where when you would heat it up, no dross would come to the top. It was pure. And so the, the Bible is saying just like you would purify silver, God has made sure that his word is purified. And then we say, why did God add seven times? Is there any significance in doing silver seven times? Well, there, there is significance of the number seven in the Bible. It's God's number of completion or perfection. How many days did God take to create the the universe? Six days and he rested? Seven. So, seven day cycle. Seven, when you look at the, in the Bible, seven is God's number of completion or perfection. 
So what the Bible's saying here is that God has perfectly purified his word in verse 6. And then verse 7, he protects his word from mankind and specifically from this generation. So wait a minute, the first, you got to understand that as soon as the Bible was given, corruption was creeping in. The book of Galatians, I mean, the, the canon of the scripture isn't even finished yet. And there was a whole region of Christians that basically turned their back on Christ, believing that you had to work your way to heaven. So this is the way Satan works. As soon as the word's given, Satan tries to, to refute it, corrupt it, dilute it. And so God said, I've got to protect my word this generation. So the very generation it was given, God protected it. And then he said forever. And what this means is that every generation, God protects his word in every generation so that every generation has access to God's inspired, preserved word. There's never been a time throughout history that God's inspired, preserved word didn't exist after he gave it. You say, that's a miracle. Exactly. It's supernatural. It's called preservation. God inspired it, and then he preserved it. And then lastly, let me say this. Uh, Through publication, God ensures that his eternal word is always available for mankind. I mentioned Psalm 12, 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God preserves his word so every generation can have access to a trustworthy copy of the Bible. But look at, we'll finish with Psalm 68. Psalm 68. So God's word is eternal. There's a copy of it in heaven. And then the written word is a physical expression of God's eternal word. Through inspiration, God ensured that his eternal word was perfectly transferred to mankind. Through preservation, God ensures that his eternal word is continually protected from mankind. And that means it doesn't get corrupted along the way. There's Not that some versions of it don't get corrupted, but he will always make sure there is a, a, a version that is free of corruption. And then number five, through publication... God ensures that his eternal word is always available for mankind. Psalm 68, verse 11, The Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. So God gave his word, he inspired it, he preserved it. Now how are we going to get more copies out that people are publishing? Publish can mean to speak it, to proclaim it, but also since this is a written word, it clearly speaks about publishing the written word. And the Bible, God uses publishers, publishing, to spread the Bible. And in the beginning, that was people accounting, or excuse me, writing scrolls and skins. And they were very particular about how the, the Jews were very particular about how they copied that. And then it went to papyrus and other things. And now through the movable type press, and then now digitally printing, but it's still published. Let me give you some facts about this publishing. The first book ever printed on movable press type or movable type press was the Bible. Movable type press changed the game because they wouldn't have to make uh, immovable plates and all kinds of things. They could, they could move this around. It, it greatly sped up and made it cheaper to uh, 
print books. Think about this. More Bibles have been printed than any book in the history of the world. The Bible is the best-selling book. It is excluded from best-selling book lists because it would always rank the highest. Over 100 million Bibles are printed every year. This is an older number. Bible sales earn more than $400 million every year. Three people every second share some form of biblical quote or verse to their social media outlets. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, over 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold since 1851. That's a lot of Bibles. To put that in perspective, the next best-selling book of all time is Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes, which sold over 500 million copies. Guinness estimates that in the last 2,000 years, over 5 trillion copies of the Bible have been printed. You think God wants people to have his word? Sure he does. You think Satan wants to keep God's word from people? Sure he does. And when it comes to publishing, we also know that all Bible versions are not created equal. Modern publishers want to convince us that things that are different are actually the same, but we know that things that are different aren't the same. In order to get a new copyright on a new Bible, it has to be 30% different than, the, than any other version. So think about that. There are over 200 versions of the English Bible. And they all have to be different to get a copyright. The King James Bible doesn't have a copyright. The notes or cross-references can be copyrighted depending on the publisher. But there's no financial incentive of, to, to change, or excuse me, to, to keep the Bible the same for modern publishers. The financial incentive is to change it. And modern versions are usually corrupted by one or more of the following. Textual issues, they use a corrupt text. Translation methods, uh, dynamic versus formal equivalents, and, and other things that, that uh, aren't appropriate for this format. Integrity of the publishers, ability of the translators, financial motivations, unproven effectiveness. And let me end by giving you five reasons we use the King James Bible here at Curtis Corner Baptist Church. Number one is demonstrable integrity. King James Version is not copyrighted. Uh, it's, there's an integrity for people that are just publishing it. They just want to get the word of God to people. There's a lot of marketing out there that says, well, we're printing new Bibles because they're easier to understand. Did you know that the King James Bible is printed on, on a, a, its readability on a, on a readability scale is sixth grade. The NIV is actually 12th grade. The NIV is actually harder to read in the King James Version, you just have to learn some words. Uh, so there's a lot of marketing about all the different reasons why, and we won't get into the technicalities. But the King James Version has a demonstrable integrity. Next, it has textual purity. The Texas Receptus and the, the Masoretic Text, a lot of the, the Greek manuscripts that these other versions are placed upon uh, are clearly corrupt. The translators, I would put the the technical abilities of the people that translated the King James Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English 
I would put them up against any other group of publishers in the world. It's laughable about their technical skill and ability in translation. Uh, the King James Bible is not hard to understand if you just learn a few words. Number three, historical efficacy. Every great move of God in recent history has been with the King James Bible. How many great churches, how many great movements of God? I'm not talking about crowds. I'm talking about how many great movements of God have happened with modern versions. Can I give you a hint? Zero. And this really is a test, and it seems to not be working. Number four, congregational harmony. When we all read a text, it's nice to read the same text. When we all memorize verses, it's nice to memorize the same verses. And then lastly, personal testimony. Folks, this book's changed my life. And it's changed a lot of other people's lives. I'm not looking for a new one. This one is, is totally and completely not just capable, it's the only version proven to do what it claims to do. Doesn't mean people can't get saved out of a... Every version has elements of God's Word, and typically they leave the, word, the verses alone that you know the most. John 3.16 in most versions is going to be pretty much the same because it's so well known. But when you, get in, when you get away from the most well-known verses and you get into these other versions, sometimes you read what they say, it's like, what? That's not what that says, that's not what that means. It's, it's, it's completely different. So today we're talking about the eternal Word. I want you to know why we use God's Word, and I want you to have complete and utter confidence in it. The Bible is God's eternal Word. There's nothing like it. And God's going to keep it. Heaven and earth will pass away. But His Word's not going to pass away. Amen. 2023, it'll still work for you. Hey, teenagers, it'll still work for you. Amen. Kids, it'll still work for you. Young adults, you don't need something new. Don't go out and beat your head against the wall for a lifetime, getting beat up with scars and scratches and mistakes, and then come back to it later. This is the book you need. It will do exactly what it claims to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that we've heard today. Thank you for pointing us to the eternal word. I pray that it would continue to work in our lives and that we would have a great confidence in it. And Lord, in a world where even some Christian institutions are causing doubt and casting doubt upon thy word. May we be a place that points to people to the inspired, preserved, trustworthy word of God. And may we not just believe it, but strive to live it. Heads about, eyes are closed. Would you take a moment and think about what God wants you to do with what we've heard today? Maybe your doubt in the word of God has been waning. Maybe you've heard some things. You've listened to some people. There's people all over the internet, schools, universities will try to make you doubt the Word. Oh, it's the Word of God. And then maybe you believe it, but perhaps you haven't been doing what you know to do out of it. Let's today recommit to the eternal Word of God.